can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. Welcome to Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. From Western to the world. I'm your host, Ariel Frame, here with my co-host, Yiman Chen. How you doing? And I'm glad to bring you our guest today from the neuroscience program, Faraj Haddad. Say, f- say hello. Hello. Um, he is a friend of mine that started uh, at the same time as me, and uh, I'm really happy to have him join us today. Um, let's uh, jump right in. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, who your supervisor is and a little bit about your work? So my supervisor is called Suzanne Schmidt. She is the director of the neuroscience program and, well, the graduate neuroscience program. And my work right now mainly focuses on trying to understand the impact of infection during pregnancy and how does that affect uh, the fetus, specifically in terms of brain development. All right, so fetus and brain development. Why don't you tell us what you mean by fetus and why is it that maybe this is an important time in development that would affect the brain? So uh, the a large part of the brain's development actually happens when uh, the we're, we're still developing in our mother's womb. Uh, what happens later after we're born is mainly just cells proliferating or sort of migrating, but the the main um, processes that determine which part of the brain is going to become which, that all happens in the fetus. And um, if you can imagine that if you try and mess that up or if if anything happens to disturb that process, then the implications can be massive. They can go um, you very easily if you just think about the recent Zika virus, then you can see a really stark example of what uh, an infection during pregnancy can do to the fetal brain development. So basically, you're saying the idea is that um, changes, perhaps even small changes in early stages of development could have sort of huge ramifications after, well, uh, while the fetus is developing and perhaps after it's been born. Yeah, so the way I I would put it is just think about if you're trying to build something and your cornerstone is is faulty or something is not proper there then everything you build on top of that is not going to work right the entire thing's going to fall down sooner or later yep okay so what sorts of you know changes what sorts of developmental issues are you studying specifically here so the changes i'm studying uh, or that my entire project stems from findings in humans where um disorders that have a new neurodevelopmental um, neurodevelopmental origin or background, they've been associated with infection during pregnancy. So the most significant examples, I would say, are autism and schizophrenia. And although those are completely different, they've both been associated with similar types of infections um, during pregnancy. So when you're saying infections, is it the fetus becoming infected during pregnancy? No, that's the thing. It's the mother getting infected. Oh. Is this sort of any kind of infection? Or are you looking specifically at, you know, catching the flu? Or uh, or would it be something more serious than that? So my talk is mainly involved with, um, or my project is mainly based on common infections. Things like 
uh, respiratory infections, urinary tract infections, things that happen on a regular basis that aren't necessarily on their own anything massive. No, not many people are going to die from them or uh, suffer any major consequences. So is the point not necessarily the infection itself, but the immune response to the infection that the, uh, the mother's body is, is producing? Well, yeah, I mean, it could be both. Uh, so I brought up the Zika example. Mm -hmm. you, you don't really see anything else in any other infection from the Zika. And so that basically tells you that, no, that's specific to the virus itself. But in, in my case and in the disorders I'm looking at, then we do think that it's the immune response that the mother tries to fight the infection with. And a lot of aspects of that immune response actually do have a role in brain development. And if, if they can get from the mom to the fetus, then ch changes can happen, and not, they're not necessarily good changes. Okay, so um, it seems like you were inferring that in, in Zika, there isn't as so much as a, a, a major immune response per se. It's the virus itself that's actually uh, you know, infecting the baby. Well, I would say there is an immune response, but the effects of the virus are probably more uh, more severe than the effects of the immune response because uh, in that case, there's a major malformation. The brain is excessively smaller. It's a lot smaller than what it, what it should be. But in the case of, let's say, uh, autism, then the brain is the right size approximately. It's not, that, it's not severely malformed. Mm. It's just more tiny details that go wrong. Okay, so, okay, I mean, for some people that might be a little scary, you know, because, like, I know that um, when people get, when people, when women get pregnant, the whole couple is sometimes like, oh, man, what do I do? And they're always looking into books and, like, who, what should I eat? Where should I go? What You know, if you you almost feel like you're going to, you want to bubble boy yourself mm -hmm. <laughs> if you try now to, now being told that if you get even slightly sick with some little infection, then your baby's going to, uh, maybe have a developmental problem. So, I, I mean, I might ask, how could you avoid this? Uh, you did say that it was some of these regular things, but how severe does it have to get? I mean, if we look in the population and we see how many pregnant women are getting sick, do we see, do we see this like relation in like one population, maybe one country, one city, where a lot of people are getting more sick, or there's just like this virus going around at the time where people happen to be pregnant? Do you see later? higher incidence of the of the diseases you were talking or the disorders you were talking about mm -hmm. like autism and, and schizophrenia. So, so that has actually happened. I, I just going through the literature, I came across uh, a certain influenza uh, infection that I'm not sure what the term is. Is it a pandemic, I think? Um, and it was you could see that there's an incidence of schizophrenia, for example, uh, that started going up or is, is thought to be correlated to that uh, influenza outbreak. So I, I mean, it is scary and that's the first thing I thought when I, when I started working on this project. But then looking at it, it's actually a lot of the time, it's mainly the infections that require hospitalization or they're, that are relatively more severe. and. As long as there is treatment, and the whole idea behind my project is that the immune response is what's causing this uh, 
And in, in a lot of diseases, actually, if you think about it, the immune response is what causes our symptoms. It's not necessarily the, the virus or bacteria that we're infected with. And when we do get treated, we, we do, you do kind of have like anti-inflammatory drugs and things like that that do reduce the immune response. So I, I wouldn't say um, it's as severe. Uh, it is quite a decent increase. But then again, all these disorders, they don't have an extremely high, and they're, they're relatively common, but again, if you have an increased risk of something that's maybe like half a percent, it's still not that uh, high of a probability that this is going to happen or is going to take place. So maybe it's maybe not so scary if you happen to get the sniffles while you're pregnant, is what you're saying. Yes, especially if you do go and get some get treated and don't just ignore it and let it get right. worse to the point where you have to go to the hospital. Okay. So you're talking about um, the influence or the impact of immune responses on developing fetal brains and things like that. Um, can you give us an idea of what sort of changes might be occurring? Like what is happening in uh, fetal development? In the brain specifically, I mean? Well, as a response to some of these infections, as a response to the immune response. Um, are there physical changes? Are there chemical changes in development? So what's mainly happening um, is, so if you think your body has immune cells that fight off the infection, and so does the brain. And these cells that fight off infection, they send messages to each other, telling each other what to do and how to function and how to fight off the, they're basically, they're like an organized sort of military, trying to keep everything safe. And what's happening is that the mom's cells are sending out a lot of these signals, and the signals happen to get to the cells of the fetus. And the fetus starts thinking, oh, something is wrong, or they're the same cells that usually in the fetus fight off infection or have immune, um, immune responsibilities. During development, they also have another job. They also help with the brain uh, they they help with the brain growth and sort of cells and how to uh, telling which cells where to go. And what's happening is that these signals are causing them to focus more on trying to fight off an infection in the mom and not actually uh, on their job in helping the brain grow to what it should be. Okay, so kind of like these are multifunctional cells mm -hmm. that are being recruited to fight off an infection somewhere else instead of helping the, the fetus develop properly. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're being recruited. They're just receiving those signals and they're mm -hmm. responding wherever they are in the fetus uh, where they shouldn't be responding. They should be focusing on uh, sort of brain development rather than something else. I mean, I I might be reading reading into this a little bit too much. I'm sh I'm almost sure that I that I am. Um, but I mean, it sounds the way you described the those immune type cells in the brain um, as having these multiple jobs, and then it's almost like they're distracted and they just can't focus on one thing over the other. It sounds almost a little bit to me like the distracted phenotype attention phenotype in schizophrenia and, and <laughs> autism itself. I'm definitely going too far, but yeah. <laughs> later, definitely. does the though, do those immune cells, we know the brain development, maybe some connections might be off, but actually do, the, do those cell, same cells that are so-called sort of distracted, uh, 
uh, during development, do they do they function differently in in the in the postnatally or like in that when they're actually born? Um, so the cells do function. They 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 sort of lose their responsibility to help with brain growth, and they mainly focus on immune functions when the person grows. And in a lot of in in a lot of these disorders that we're studying. It's interesting to see that in uh, in the brains of people post mortem after they pass away or after they die, you always see that these immune cells are still rather hyperactive or producing more than or sort of uh, producing more immune signals than they should. So you mentioned earlier that the effect of all these things in the developing fetus is uh, higher incidence of things like autism, things like schizophrenia. Um, is there a link between these two things? Can you tell us a little bit more about like what autism and schizophrenia are? So it's funny that you mentioned that. Actually, I I went to uh, I recently went to the to a talk and uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's the medical school section that, that studies history of medicine and um, autism initially when it was first being diagnosed, it wasn't diagnosed as autism, it was actually diagnosed as child schizophrenia. And the reason for that is um, a, you could imagine a lot of the symptoms if you don't break it down and if you don't have all these categories. Now it's easy for us to think, oh, they're two separate diseases because we have all these classifications and we have these giant books that tell us, oh, if someone does this and that and all these different uh, diagnostic criteria. But back then, uh, it was difficult to distinguish or people didn't have didn't think about it and so and there there are a lot of things that you could say are are similar and specifically when um, when someone's young and the types the type of things you see in their behavior uh, you can't really sort of inquire too much or ask them how they're feeling or really get too much out of them and so there are things that are similar between these two disorders. But I mean, right now, if you ask someone about schizophrenia and autism, they're completely different disorders and they do show completely different uh, behaviors uh, and they have different pathologies related to them. So what would some of these behaviors or symptoms look like for these two mm -hmm. types of disorders? So for schizophrenia, I, the main, um, there's two, symptoms are classified into two things, the positive symptoms and the negative symptoms. So negative symptoms, like let's, uh, let's start with the positives. Positive symptoms are right. things you wouldn't normally have, right? So these are like hallucinations, delusions. These are things you wouldn't normally have. And negative symptoms are things that you normally have, but in the case of schizophrenia, you have less of. So this is lack of affect or emotions or uh, things like that. In terms of autism, Autism is more of, autism starts much earlier in life and uh, the in terms of diagnoses, it's mainly social behavior. So social reciprocity, uh, language, and communication. So things like uh, if you act nice to me, how do I reciprocate? Do I know that you're trying to like, be my friend and how do I show you that? Because if I don't show you that back, then you're not gonna wanna be near me again. And again, this is like simplified, but when it, you can imagine if it happens at a very young age, then it really can get in the way of, um, can get away in the way of 
people functioning properly in society or even in you know just preschool or something like that okay then i guess my next question is how do you research how are you investigating this link between fetal development and uh, the onset of autism or schizophrenia are you studying like mothers and, and babies with in, in human subjects no i actually use a rat model and we try and study very basic processes that are highly conserved from uh, humans to rats to mice to monkeys uh, these processes we think are so basic that uh, they they are needed for higher function anything so if you think about social behavior it's extremely complex like when I'm looking at you it's it's all this um, all these cues are happening that are, it's not just necessarily about the words that we're saying right because you know even if you can't see it on the radio we're you know nodding our heads yeah we're, gesturing. I'm gesturing anyway at the very least and um, even just yeah. you smiling as you say that 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 has a big part in like how I interpret it right right and we try and study processes that are basic and we think have to do with um, with any other higher order function. So if like social behavior or paying attention to something, uh, all these things still require you to f um, process the environment around you in a basic way. So to get at the complex things, you need to start off uh, and know what the simple sort of divisions of your surroundings are okay so you're uh, your control rat and your experimental rat walk into a bar and they uh, <laughs> they're having a conversation and you and then you look at their face uh, how can you tell if one rat is smiling how do you measure these different <laughs> social behaviors in your rats uh, well it's it's funny I actually side story I uh, <laughs> I, before I working with rats, I had a really different uh, idea of them. But now after working with them, I could totally see a rat. You know, I I can't say I see it smiling, but I can definitely uh, relate to it liking me. <laughs> um, so what we do is we we don't measure smiling. We measure other behaviors, and we measure reflex uh, a certain type of reflex called the startle reflex. So the startle reflex is simply your re response when you hear a loud sound. This, in this case, it's the acoustic startle reflex. When you hear a loud sound, and like just think about being in a horror movie and you hear like a jump scare or something like that, you're gonna blink. And in the rat, it's not really a blink; it's a full body jump. <laughs> and so, uh, what we do is we try and see how this response changes because the way this response changes tells us a lot about how uh, the rats are able to process stimuli that maybe might not be relevant or might not be uh, might ha not have a major impact. So if they don't respond to these to this startle stimulus as much when we keep giving it to them, then that means they're they're functioning properly. But in the case of the experimental rat, then it might still respond excessively uh, to this sound, even though it's heard it a million times. So that's that's actually a really cool way. That's a really cool measure. You can say, oh, 
distinctly. It's it doesn't it's not as subjective as really looking at someone as are they smirking or are they not smirking? It's like a a robust measure mm-hmm. of like do they respond and how much do they respond is quantitative. I like that a lot. So I guess <laughs> we, we 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 directed you towards what you know what's your model? How are you looking at it? What are you measuring? Now a lot of people would go okay let, let's go back. So if we can we measure this in a, like if I take a take a schizophrenic person or a, a child with autism to a horror movie will they startle less? So it's interesting that you ask because the startle response itself um, or the the test for the acoustic startle response and how it changes the main focus of that or when it first started it was developed in humans. Um, and we study something called prepulse inhibition, and that that phenomenon was developed first in schizophrenic, uh, or was seen first in schizophrenic patients, or maybe the deficits in that. Um, so it's, I mean, I feel like, can you just repeat that so I can make sure I'm actually answering your question? Uh, sure. So um, uh, you, the the startle, uh, the acoustic startle response, or the pre pre pulse inhibition mm-hmm. response that you see in the rats, uh, is this same response evoked in in uh, schizophrenic patients or autistic mm-hmm. patients? So the response itself, yes, it is evoked, and there is a lot of studies trying to look at it in schizophrenic patients, in uh, autistic, and um, patients with autism spectrum disorder. And what we often see is that perhaps there is, uh, I would say, a, an altered reactivity. So it could be an overreactivity or it could be an underreactivity to this stimulus. And in both cases, it can actually have an effect on your behavioral processing of your surroundings. So let's say if you're overreactive to something that you shouldn't be. So if I'm overreactive to your really bright shirt, that might might take me away from something that really matters. Um, And if I'm not as reactive to something else, uh, maybe your facial expression or your cues, then that's also uh, not very good. And again, this is the, the star response is is a lot less complex and that's why we study it but it can tell us a lot about things like that okay so once you've researched this connection between um, fetal development uh, infections and um, brain disorders what's the next step is there some way that we could maybe address or uh, try to cure some of these disorders Mm -hmm. Uh, the way I see it I think Awareness is probably one of the first things that you can um, target. But yes, I think we don't know enough about it yet to be able to target it uh, in in human or like to, to be able to help, uh, let's say, prevent it in the offspring from these pregnancies where there's an infection. And if you think about it, what are you going to do? Are you going to try and stop? The immune response well if you stop the immune response and the mother could die because the immune system isn't really working to fight back the infection and so it's it's a really it's not an easy question to answer what do we do after i think we don't know enough yet to be able to do something specific enough to only prevent these effects but we're working on it 
Okay, cool. Well, thanks very much, Brad. Um, if any of our listeners out there are interested in following some of your work, some of the work that's being done at your lab, is there somewhere uh, on the internet, perhaps, that they could look you up? Yes, our uh, lab website is theschmidlab.com. So that's uh, the S-C-H-M-I-D lab.com. Okay, great. And we'll have that information available once this is posted as a podcast as well. So thanks very much for coming and speaking with us today, Faraj. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So this has been GradCast, a production of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm your host today. My name is Yiman Chen, and joining me today as a co-host was... Ariel Frame. Thanks for joining us. Okay, and we have just a couple more quick announcements before uh, we let you go today. We just wanted to announce that the SOG's Western Research Forum is coming up, and the submission deadline for this multidisciplinary graduate research conference has been pushed back to mid-January. If you would like to apply or submit some of your work, or if you want to find out more information, go to scholarship at western.com, or sorry, scholarship at Western the website, and look up the Western Research Forum 2018. And one other thing we have as an announcement, it's that time of year again where SOGS recognizes the efforts of extraordinary TAs all across Western. And that means the GSTA Awards, Graduate Teaching Awards. Uh, the nomination forms for excellent, amazing TAs are going to be available at SOGS.ca under the Services, Awards, and Academic Support page. And be sure to get the word out so that super deserving, extraordinary TAs get nominated and get awarded for their efforts. Again, thanks very much for joining us. Have a happy holidays. Hold your hands, they're just like My mine. mother will start to Beautiful, worry. what's your My father hurry? will be pacing the floor. Listen to that fireplace it's really had better scurry. Beautiful, please don't hurry. maybe just a soda pop Put some records on while I the pour. The neighbors might think. Baby, it's bad.